Blog Talk Radio. Mike G. <laughs> <laughs> gentlemen it is getting very real out here this is not your mama's cooking but it is just as good you are listening to the omr show the open-minded reality show i'm your host today queen x and i am here inviting you to think while it's still legal waking up the people one nudge at a time real people real talk Real life, ladies and gentlemen, it is going down today on Caliwood Media Network. You're listening to BlogTalkRadio.com/slash/Caliwood Media Network. Make sure you guys are following us on social media. You can follow the show directly at T H E O M R S H O W. That's at the O M R Show on Twitter and Instagram. We will be having some. Pretty cool promotions coming up, so make sure you guys are still listening. We have some Amazon Fire tablets, the latest kind, number seven, Fire Sevens with Alexa. We have a couple of those to give away, so if you guys are listening, make sure you guys stay tuned within the next few shows to know how you can win a brand new Amazon Fire Seven tablet with Alexa. Today, uh, we are going to have a special guest. Uh, former boxer Pat Coffee, or also known as Irish Pat Coffee. Uh, but until we get to that point, I do want to go into my 60 second rant. And my rant for the day is about commitment. So, first, let me go ahead and get the time ready. Let me go ahead and get the time ready because I don't want to vent or rant for more than 60 seconds. I don't want to spend more than 60 seconds of my time talking about something that I don't like. That's just too much energy. But I think I can, I think I can go ahead and talk about it for just one minute. Okay, so here it goes. Commitment. I get it. I get tired of people saying, yeah, sure, I'll do it. You know, I'll do it. I got you. For sure, for sure. And then when the day comes to show up, there's an excuse or there's a reason, or something happens to where they don't show up, there's no communication, there's no nothing. And so my my whole thing about it is, okay, 
you know, perhaps if I show myself as committed, then they'll follow suit. But one thing about being committed yourself is being able to weed out what's important and what isn't. And when that becomes clear, then it's up to you to say, well, hey, I mean, obviously this is not important and this is, and that revelation might surprise you. But anyways, commitment, learn it, do it, and that's the end of my 60 seconds. So now just to go ahead and go ahead and be grateful for some things. Um, recently, I had to fight for my job. I work in something like corporate America, and it's my first time really actually being in a position that I actually wanted to have and wanted to keep and everything else. So with all of that, I ended up being in a situation where I had to actually fight for the position that I held. And that was a very interesting thing to do. But once I came out of it, I came out on top and everything was good. Everything was great. And it was just so surreal to be a warrior and fight and actually win the battle. So I'm very grateful for that experience. I'm grateful for my job. I'm grateful for my coworkers who got my back. I'm grateful for God. I'm grateful for a lot of things right now. Some people are out there with no place to lay their head, no food to put in their bellies. For me, I'm very grateful. Very, very, very grateful. You know, as a matter of fact, I'm going to go ahead and play this song by Amelia Rowe. It's called Get Up. Hopefully it will encourage you all to get up. <laughs> Don't keep your head down too much. This is the OMR show, and we'll be right back.
listen to Cali Wood Nation. What's that you listening to? I'm listening to Cali Wood Nation. Yeah, you can't say it's on the radio. And gentlemen, this is the OMR show. I hope you like that track from Amel LaRoe. It's actually pretty old. It's called Get Up. Um, she was a very, very good singer. I wonder what happened to her. But anyway, let's get into some headlines for the day. Um, NPR uh, has an article up here about Dave Chappelle and his comedy and politics in the age of President Trump. At uh, only 14, apparently Dave Chappelle started performing stand-up in Washington. And since then, he's done amazing things. One of my favorite being, um, you know, his block party video, or I don't want to say video, but it's probably DVD by then. But uh, his block party, um, half-baked, he's done a lot of cool things. Um, One thing that he said was... um, the conversation was more about conversation between uh, Rawlings and Dave Chappelle talking about their days coming up in, you know, D.C. and what it was like to perform in the Radio City music. And uh, he said Radio City is what they call a vanity gig because that's the kind of show that you do to get rich, but it's not easy real estate to get. Uh, it's priceless. Um, Dave Chappelle quite a bit now. Um has a lot of shows. He has um, where is it at? Ah, here it goes. Yeah, he also has a stand up going on uh in rotation now, so make sure you guys check that out. Also on headlines for music, Forbes has Jay Z charting his fourteenth number one album with four forty four. That's pretty interesting. Um it is Jay's fourteenth leader on the Billboard 200 tally, and that actually furthers his lead as a solo act with the most number one albums. Shout out to Jay for that. Him and B are definitely a power couple. Um, In addition to those LPs, they also hit number one in the ranking with collab efforts with Kanye West, Lincoln Park, and even R. Kelly. Uh, Speaking of R. Kelly, He is trending right about now. Apparently, there are some abusive cult allegations that R. Kelly is currently denying. Um, TMZ reports that R. Kelly vehemently denied explosive allegations that he's the mastermind behind an abusive cult that subjects women to sex slavery. Now, him being called a self-proclaimed Pied Piper of sorts, it, to me, it's no surprise that, you know, he gets women. But, I mean, for him to be part of an abusive cult, subjecting women to sex slavery, not quite sure that that's him being the mastermind. I mean, we've seen a lot of uh, artists that have gotten some flack over the years. Um, we've gotten Cat Williams being seen as though he was crazy. You know, Dave Chappelle going off the grid for some time. And so it's always rumored that, hey, you know, they are being watched by this secret society. And once they started telling the truth and exposing the society, then they were made out to be crazy or, you know, untrustworthy or their reputation was attacked. And it's because of that that they kind of, you know, dim quietly back into the background. 
But I don't know what R. Kelly could have done to, yeah, I guess, incite such anger from this uh, secret society. So, (laughs) I mean, to have him be a scapegoat for something that was revealed to be a cult, maybe that's a stretch. I don't know. Maybe he just got females like that. I don't know. I mean, the story is still developing. But one of the women, Jocelyn Savage, interesting last name. I mean, it just sounds like a play, doesn't it? Um, Jocelyn Savage is claiming that her dad actually set up the initial meeting between her and R. Kelly and that she's actually enjoying her life right now, um, living in this house where he calls the girls his babies. I mean, I don't see how that could be considered, you know, cult leadership. I mean, it's just like when you go around and you call all three of your boyfriends, those are your babes, you know what I'm saying? So I don't know. I don't know. Um, She also spoke out and said that she's not a hostage. Uh, Apparently people are saying that he's holding these women hostages or they are of various ages. Um, This particular lady, Jocelyn Savage, she's 21 years old, and she tells TMZ that her dad was actually on board with Kelly meeting Savage uh, almost two years ago at a concert. So who knows? Uh, Maybe she was promised that she would be developed as a singer and she just decided to stay. I don't know. I don't know. So the story is still developing. I mean, she looks like, you know, uh, a young lady who is very ambitious. Uh, Who knows? what the real plan was, but she said she's not a hostage, so, you know, I don't know, man, hopefully she's not brainwashed or anything like that. Uh, Also, in um, some headlines about R. Kelly, apparently, um, she did, uh, she did actually say in a CNN interview that she wasn't being brainwashed or anything like that, but is that something a brainwashed person would say? I don't know why that's trending, but perhaps that's also why Snapchat has that little hot dog thing. We got respect my vote, Wednesday wisdom. Admin, Bizbash LA, all these are trending on Twitter. We have Game of Thrones that's going to be coming out pretty soon. So I know people are excited about that as well. Uh, Wednesday Wisdom. This was, um, let me see. Do I have any Wednesday Wisdom for you guys at this time? Maybe after we get into the main segment of the day, which is Black Women at Work. Black Women at Work has been a hashtag for quite some time, and it was actually an article written about it on AOL saying that it highlights the different struggles and the racism that Black women encounter in the workplace. I kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit 
further on in the show. I didn't want to just kind of just drop it on you guys. But we might as well get into it. Um, on Tuesday, um, this was in March 29th. So um, sometime in March, uh, Bill O'Reilly claimed that he couldn't concentrate on a clip of Maxine Waters uh, speaking on the House floor because he was distracted by her hair, which she referred to as a James Brown wig. And later that same day during a press conference, um, White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer chastised her reporter Ryan, uh, the Washington Bureau Chief for American Urban Radio Network, for shaking while he was speaking. So, I mean, I mean, there's just things that people have to go through. Oh, not even people. Black women have to go through. Um, whether it be our body language, whether it be our silence, whether it be the things we actually say, or even us just being in the room, is looked at as intimidating. It's looked at as confrontational or combative, or you have an attitude. I don't even really like saying to people, oh, well, you got an attitude. Well, Everything is an attitude. Is it a positive attitude? Is it a negative attitude? Which one is it? But as a black woman myself, and being in a position where I've had to set aside my self-employment for income using a uh, regular, you know, nine to five, I have had to Yes, to other people's rules. I've had to um, do things just because someone said so, uh, with or without question. And it's not a question of whether or not I can take direction or anything like that, but it's what do I do or what do I say when I witness certain things that are red flags to me. For example, and this is a, a personal thing. If I have a conversation with someone who is in human resources and a manager or someone who's a witness, and as soon as we finish our discussion and you tell me your reprimand, I see you talking to someone whom I mentioned I have a problem with, right after the meeting and then I hear tell that hey you know watch out these people and that person and this person is talking about you how would they know what my concerns were unless they were in that meeting so I have to question well they find out what was said and who said it and then I would want to question why did they say that and I can't help but notice the racial landscape throughout my workplace. You have the people who are owning the company, Caucasian, the people who are in, um, you know, secondary leadership positions like managers or directors or things like that. Forty of them are Latina or Latino, Hispanic. 
speckled with Caucasians. The other black people that work there, what do they do? They clean. Um, they clean. <laughs> I'm trying to think, you know, uh, the their front desk. You know what I mean? So we we don't have a lot of representation when it comes to African Americans in the workplace in higher uh, positions. So, and then to know that a lot of those people are related or know each other is another big thing. So when you have that kind of click and relationship going on and you're an African-American woman in the workplace, where do you fit in? Where do I bend and where do I not? If I say something and it's correct, it's not, you know, I could say something like, uh, hey, you know, well, this happened because blah, blah, blah. And let me here tell of it, it's, oh, well, she was arguing. She was going back and forth with my Hispanic counterpart. Say, oh, well, this happened because blah, blah, blah. The exact same thing. And then I'm told, oh, it's just different. Well, how so? You said pretty much the same thing. How is it different? And so it's like hearing some sort of filter or something is there that says if a black person or a black woman says something that you don't like, it is her being combative. It is her being all of these negative things that nobody wants to work with, and she has and had it. I don't see that applied to anyone else. And it's like, how do I combat that? How do I, being a progressive, young, black, female, millennial, deal with the pretty harsh realities <laughs> of the black woman in the workplace? You look at different TV shows like Black and Being Mary Jane who have talked about and addressed certain discrimination by the state from being pregnant to standing up for yourself. And people thinking, oh, well, you just want to talk about that because or because, you know, you just want to have something to say. A whole bunch of stuff. It's just, it's quite a lot. It's quite a lot to deal with. You know, I mean, it doesn't matter how hard to work our natural hair sometimes is deemed as professional when you have people who want to just do racist things like touch your hair sometimes not warranted or um, comment on how big your butt is when it's not warranted um, all those things happen and we kind of sneak into the fire and wonder well, I have to say something right now to this person because uh, I don't know if I know this is not right or this uh, this rubs me the wrong way or anything like that. We have to actually pick and choose when to address certain things that happen to us, and some of us never actually address those things. So then we get pent-up frustration, being irritated, and then we start to develop 
that type of attitude that's not desired, that's not even of us to be. And I find that it's a cycle. It is a cycle where trust begets distrust. And as soon as a black woman decides to, you know, fall for that, I'm going to step up, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And it's, oh, my God, she's she's going crazy. She's not doing what she's supposed to do. She's not sitting down and shutting up. Then it's a problem. But in all actuality, we do deserve dignity and respect. We 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 <laughs> deserve to be treated as human, not subservient subspecies or anything like that. But anyway, let us know what you think about black women. Are you a black woman? Or what do you have to deal with? Let me know. Go ahead and tweet it or you know Instagram. Uh, a nice cool meme, whatever you got. Hashtag Black Women at Work at the OMR show. I'm going to go ahead and play some Kendrick Lamar from Humble. And we will be right back on the old Yeah, yeah. Hey, I remember syrup sandwiches and crime allowances, but Nessa with some counterfeits, but now I'm counting this. Parmesan with my accountant lived this back. I'm down in this. Do say with my boobay, taste like too late for the analyst. Girl, I can buy your whiskey world with my base stuff. Who that good? Won't you sit it on my taste plus? I get way too petty. Won't you let me do the extra? Pull up on your block and break it down. We playing Tetris. AM to the PM, PM to the AM phone. Your DM, you just gotta hate them phone. If I quit your BM, I still rock Mercedes phone. If I quit this season, I still be the greatest funk. My left stroke just went viral. Right stroke, put the baby in the spiral. Soprano C, we like to keep it on the high note. It's levels to it, you and I know. Be humble. Sit down. Be down. 
Hello? Hey, what you listening to? Jimmy, you know, every Monday, I listen to the Open Minds radio show. Mabel, Mabel, now don't you let nobody open your mind. Now, they ain't no brain surgeon. It's going to fall out now. Why are you so literal? It's going to fall out all over the floor, slip and slide. Slip and slide, they ain't got no mop. I ain't going to deal with this. Look here. I'm looking. Hear me? I'm looking. It's just radio, baby. It's a what? It's just a, the radio. That sounds like something contagious, Mabel. I ain't no... You, nope. you know you mm-hmm. old nut know about mm-hmm. that radio? Old nut to know about well, radio. Well, it is on the net. The, the what? The net. What that? It's the net where all the kids be on, on the phones. The, the net. What, what, what that is? I don't, I don't understand that. The, the internet. The, the internet. Hold, hold on, hold on. So is it the net or the internet? It's both, baby. That don't make no sense, Mabel. Yeah, it's, a, Mabel it's the radio it, on Mabel, the net. Mabel, it don't make no the sense, Mabel. The internet radio. The, the internet. Wait, which one is it, Mabel? It, Wait, which one is it? It's both, Jimmy. <laughs> it's both. Look, look at this. Well, somebody look at it, going to tell me it's both. <laughs> the young folks, they got some real good stuff to talk about on uh, the Open Minds radio. You want you, you, you want to know something, Mabel? I used to think that all young folks were stupid, but I found a couple of them. They smart. Yes, baby. They smart. All our great will. <laughs> you might want to think about that one, Mabel. I, I think you know, I will. You know it's that one boy. I don't want to lie for God. Woo, it's that one boy. That's like, they that. say, you know, one their family, it's like 20 and all. Woo, we and all of them need football helmets. Yeah, <laughs> but none of them play football. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and they need Jimmy, Jesus. Stop talking <laughs> bad about our <laughs> Mabel said they need Jesus. You know you yes, know Lord. <laughs> yes, Lord. Okay. Try while it's my Ooh. radio. Listen to your internet radio. They they trying to multitask with the future technology. I don't understand that. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Armar Show. I'm Queen X, your hostess for the day. I'm inviting you to think while it is still legal. Waking up the people one nudge at a time. Real talk, real people, real life. We've been talking about um, black women at work and how sometimes it can be a little rough, you know, having to deal with um, subtle racist remarks and, you know, uh, being combative when we're being assertive, you know, being having our, our attitude be mistaken for a negative one, you know, and just a lot of the things that goes into being black in America and then being a woman (laughs) and then putting all of that together and putting it in the corporate workplace. Sometimes it gets a little bit hard, but uh, we're going to go ahead and switch gears. We have a special guest on the line. We have a really cool guy. I actually met him at my job and we had an awesome conversation. We really did. To the point where I really want to get him on the show. And then come to find out, he's a former boxer. I think that's pretty cool. So I want to go ahead and introduce everyone, Mr. Pat Coffey. Pat, say hi. Hello, children. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going for you, Pat? Extremely well. I'm grateful I got to wake up again and breathe another day with my Heavenly Father. That's what I'm talking about. We actually had a um, gratitude segment earlier. Is there any uh, thing you want to share that you're grateful for? I'm grateful that I have a loving father that loves me unconditionally. I am grateful that I trust my heavenly father. I'm grateful that I've been able to learn to trust myself. 
And I'm grateful that I'm able to start to take chance and risk on society because I am a sheltered individual due to my childhood and the issues that had uh, been about to this young man as a young kid, things that were done to him. Sometimes you lose faith and belief in somebody that you shouldn't lose faith and belief, and then you might just kind of like get off track for a while. And then uh, you wind up having some issues, some damage and baggage. And then sooner or later, one chooses to shysta and get off the pot because one is no longer comfortable being that individual. And so I'm grateful that my Heavenly Father was willing to wait for me to shysta and get off the pot, if you know what I mean. <laughs> That's a lot to be grateful for. I hope everybody is taking notes. Sometimes it gets, our vision gets a little bit blurred about, you know, what's really going on. But sometimes you just got to take off those rose-colored glasses and look at what's really there. What's in front of you. I believe there's a book called The New Pair of Glasses that I read many, many, many years ago. Because I remember reading a book one time, and there's a line that really stood out for me in one of the paragraphs. And it says, I need not concentrate what needs to be changed in the world as what needs to be changed in me and my attitudes. Because I've learned over the years, as William Shakespeare said, to their own self be true, the only people that we ever lie to is ourselves. The only people that we distort is ourselves. The only people we're unfaithful to is ourselves. If one is whole and one likes what he or she looks into the mirror, then one can learn to love him or herself, and then you can give that away, which was so freely given to us by our Heavenly Father. Wow. You remembered all of that? Yep. (laughs) One day at a time, that's how I choose to live. And I said all that with one breath. (laughs) I know, right? I'm over here out of breath just listening. (laughs) But no, those are good ones to live by. And it's also, life is so simple, and yet people choose to make it complicated. You know, yesterday is not here. It's gone. We'll never have it back. And tomorrow's not here. So don't think about tomorrow. Stay in the moment. That's what we have. And the moment we just had, it's gone. The clock is ticking. So what do you think about, you know, uh, some people might call it a universal law, but the the saying that if you don't know your history, you're bound to repeat it. What do you think about stuff like that? I think that if you don't know your history, you might repeat it. I think sometimes we choose to stay in history because we're in fear of getting out of that history and making growth and change because we don't know what the results are going to be. It's like you have a lot of women that will stay in an unhealthy relationship. Why? Mm -hmm. Because they know how they're going to be treated. They don't know what's going to happen if they leave that relationship. So therefore, they choose to stay in an uncomfort zone because it's comfortable for them. Being comfortable. I was uh, in a, a leadership training that was all about getting yourself uncomfortable, unsettling, you know, what was settled and seeing what was actually there. You know, it's like yeah. dumping out a bunch of, like dumping out a jar full of rocks and gems and you got to shuffle the rocks around a little bit to find the good ones. I was always under the impression understanding that a lot of times we get into fear. And fear is based upon anger. You address the anger, you get rid of the fear. And I Mm -hmm. also have come across three definitions for fear over the years. First one is false evidence appearing real. Mm -hmm. Second one is fuck everything and run. Third one's fuck everything (laughs) and run. 
So I choose not to stay in oh, fear today because I do. <laughs> yeah, I get ten percent. Uh, <laughs> no, I want twenty percent. <laughs> a lot of people just don't seem to want to be willing to do some legwork. You know, I'm a very mm-hmm. spiritual individual. I'm not religious. I did go to Mass about a month ago for the first time in years to see a lady friend of mine that I've known for 20 years that I haven't seen in a few years. And the message is real simple. God's in charge, not us. He loves us unconditionally. And all we have to do is practice the golden rule. And it's nice to be of service once in a while. I make a commitment to feed a homeless person every day. Because at one time in my life, I was broken homeless twice after being wealthy. After my athletic career, mm-hmm. I got addicted to a lifestyle that was very unhealthy, and it wound up tearing me a new rectum, per se. And uh, one has to take chances. One has to take risks. One has to come to believe. One has to make a decision. And then mm-hmm. one has to do the legwork and stay out of the results. I don't want to be in charge of anything. I don't <laughs> want to... You still there? Yep. Yep. Um Uh-oh. It looks like his call may have dropped. Um, that was Pat Coffey, ladies and gentlemen. He's a former boxer. Hopefully he'll call back in. But um, he did have a lot of good points. You know, it is about living life in the now. It's about experiencing what there is to experience while the experience is happening. We have a lot of uh, technology that takes us away from experiencing life now in some ways it may help you know to kind of share the experience but sometimes it pays to just put the phones down you know we have selfies we have snapchat we have instagram videos and facebook live and all those things are great to share with people but i get the feeling we were enjoying life a little bit better before social media was even around before social networking became a thing i really feel that we were more connected. I feel the past was a better time. Everybody I talked to, that's a millennial, who can remember the 90s, who actually experienced the 90s in their conscious mind, we all agree. It was so, so much better to just be an adult in the 90s. I mean, that's our opinion. We were kids. We don't know what it was like. But we had more family time, it seems. We had barbecues more we had fun things to do you know we were more concerned about going to the park and you know throwing water balloons than getting shot up and going to work (laughs) Uh, so when it comes to just experiencing life in the now it is highly encouraged and it looks like Pat's back on the line Pat can you hear me I am back online. I was disconnected temporarily. Thank God to, well, we can't say that carrier's name, can we? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know you mentioned, um, you mentioned you said you were sheltered as a kid. What do you mean? Um, I wasn't sheltered as a kid. I was sexually abused and molested mm. as a kid. And I always believed in my Heavenly Father somewhat. I was always comfortable going to the church um, for multiple reasons. Um, they always had cookies and cake and punch. So that was one reason why I went to church. And from time to time, as 
painful as this might be to admit, is I have to realize that I'm not hanging from the cross. Only one person is, and his name is Jesus Christ. So during the um, sermon, you would take up collections for the church. And this church that I went to, I got a picture right now. And we're talking 1971, 72, 73, and this is now 2017. So that's many moons ago. I would volunteer <laughs> to be a collector of the funds. But I would always volunteer to go upstairs to the balcony where the choir was. And other people said I would always help myself to a couple of dollars. So even mm-hmm. though I believed in God, I was a bad kid too, but God still believed in me. And I remember that when I left home in 1973 and got on that Greyhound bus, I, God didn't leave me. I left God. I'm the one that abandoned my Heavenly Father. And in 1988, when I decided to make a change in my life, I had a hard time believing in God because I don't think he answered my prayers as a kid. But we always hear how God works in mysterious ways. And my prayer as a kid was to take the pain away. Well, he did take the pain away. The last day of high school, he put me on a Greyhound bus and sent me to my aunt and uncle in Chicago, uh, Uncle Willard and Aunt Shirley, who I met that Christmas of 1972. And the reason why I went to my Uncle Willard and Aunt Shirley was because Uncle Willard boxed professionally, as I did at one time. And I had another uncle that was 15 minutes down the road who was a millionaire, but he just didn't seem to be that much interested in me. So I stayed mm-hmm. with Uncle Willard and Aunt Shirley, and they are the first two people that I knew in my heart that I also felt love in my heart. I know that's Sometimes, a pretty good feeling. Yeah. yeah, and it's just um, like I was saying earlier before we lost our connection, life is simple. Just breathe. Do the legwork. Practice the golden rule. You know, a lot of people think there's so many things wrong with this world, and there isn't. There's only one thing wrong. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Just imagine if everybody in prison chose to practice the golden rule that day when they committed that crime, they wouldn't have committed a crime. The prisons would be empty. You know, there's a lack of uh, family unit in this country anymore. I believe the statistics are 50% of marriages end up in divorce, 80% of extramarital affairs. You have a lot of fathers who we call deep, deadbeat dads and some other dialogue that would be appropriate that won't even take care of their son or daughter. So then you got the wife slash mother who's working 16 hours a day to pay the bills and put food on the table, and we wonder why the kids to places that they shouldn't go to because there's no more family unit in this country. And it's a shame. All you have to do is watch the news. Makes my skin crawl. Makes my skin crawl. Yeah. I was just having a conversation yet- with a co-worker about, um, with uh, Trump and how he cut, um, I think it was like $20 million from uh, teen pregnancy uh, programs. And I mentioned to her that, you know, part of the reason – why they're out there getting pregnant is because they have nothing to do or they, you know, they don't have people around to, you know, uh, distract them, you know, from the different things that we experience, you know, being a teenager and growing up and there's no one there to, to read it, you know? So if you take away money from those programs, I'm thinking part of those programs are for prevention. They do have the after school programs and, you know, uh, different things I'm thinking to get, to the root of everything, why not reallocate those funds to, you know, um, maybe job preparation or, 
you know, I remember when I was growing up, we were talking about this before you came back on, like in the 90s, it seemed like everything was just a little bit simpler. You know, we had babysitters you could call, you know, and, and they ran their business, you know. <laughs> you had people that yeah. were out there trying to, you know, cut grass or throw newspapers. Or, you know, everybody had something that they wanted to do that helped out the community. And it was, it was, uh, it was, it was kind of, it was cultured, you know, in certain communities. It's like, hey, yeah, sure, I'm going to contract this kid to wash my car this summer or, you know, shovel the snow off the driveway or, you know, little things like that. And if we had, you know, modern-day programs now, you know, that were more widespread, I feel like that would be more, you know, giving them something to do would probably be a better taking money away from these programs. Because it's like, See, when I was a kid, now you're just giving them more time to, <laughs> yeah. to do what when they want to do. When I was a kid, there was a place called Boys Club of America, which I believe still exists. And I remember mm. walking across the river and going to that place. It might have been a half-hour walk, five, six, seven miles. I don't know how far. But I remember it was in, it was in West Virginia because I was right on the borderline, this, the small city that we moved to. I was born in Parksburg, West Virginia. And right beside that city was like a little little suburb city called Vienna, West Virginia. And in May in 62, uh, my father bought a three-story home for $15,000. His payments was only $86 a month in Belpre, Ohio, wow. B-E-L-P-R-E, which is 30 miles east of uh, the university in Athens. Yeah, because Ohio State's in Columbus and Athens University. And I remember as a senior in high school, there was a gentleman by the name of Mr. Hall, who owned apartment buildings, and he's a very wealthy individual, and he was a friend of my father's, or I should say our father, because there's eight kids in the family, even though I'm not part of the family anymore, and I haven't been for years, that we would cut grass on the weekends. And I remember working on Saturdays and Sundays when I was a senior in high school, eight hours as a bellhop in his hotel, and then Mr. Hall had a cafeteria, and I went to go working for him, and I remember my father borrowing money off of me to make ends meet. And you know, you don't have that today where families are families and friends are friends. You know, you hear a lot of times, well, my mom's my best friend, you know, or my father's my best friend. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a shame that we don't have that family unit anymore. And then you're talking about the teen pregnancy. I remember that sometimes I think I was guilty of being abused because I think I allowed myself to be seduced or molested or abused because I wasn't relating to sex with sex. I was relating it with being loved. So I think sometimes our young kids, our young brothers and sisters, will practice their sexuality, not so much to have sex as because they might be under the impression that they're being loved since half of the marriages mm-hmm. end up in divorce, and you've got a lot of those deadbeat fathers that aren't contributing, or they only come around once in a while, and then the mother's working 16 hours a day, an X amount of days a week, to put money on the table because the father's not contributing, so the child gets lost. So, and I always thought about that, that sometimes it's just not about sex. It's about being loved, right. about wanting to mm-hmm. feel loved. The sex just happens to be the consequence, and every once in a while you bring another child of God into the world, and then you get to suffer those consequences. Right. I think love is definitely one of those things. It just goes back to what you were saying, you know, and we all treat ourselves the way we want to be treated. The likelihood of these things happening would be slim to none. Well, you know, you go, mentioned earlier about to, Donald um, Trump. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about our president. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Here's what I don't know. We got a we got a few minutes. What do you think about Trump? 
Um, I don't respect anyone, even if he's the president of the United States, that happens to be untruthful on many occasions. I don't respect mm-hmm. anybody that makes fun of another human being, rather it be a woman, Billy Bush tape, Donald Trump tape. Yes, men are men, but sometimes men can just go a little too far and cross that line that we shouldn't cross. And um, for him to verbalize himself that way, it makes you wonder why a woman would still want to be called Mrs. Trump. Um, yeah. And for him to make fun of the gentleman that was deformed and for all these press conferences, I look at him knowing that he is the president of the United States, my president, and I am a U.S. serviceman, honorably discharged. I'm an ex-member of the United States Army. How do you defend this country knowing that this is the man that's in charge that's making the decisions? So you have to have a change of thinking attitude. You're not defending the country. You're not defending him. You're defending your brother, your peers, your brothers, your sisters, your next-door neighbors, you know, your relatives. It's just absolutely amazing that this society actually voted for this individual. Now, I understand that the vote, I don't believe so much, was for Donald Trump as it was for change. It would have just been nice if there would have been a different individual for the change. And I understand that Hillary had some issues with the emails and whatever, when when Benghazi or whatever. I just, I remember watching the elections as uh, the results were coming in. And the first time I turned on the TV, the electoral votes were 40 Trump, three for Hillary. I'm thinking, well, you know, we're not to the Midwest. We're not to the West yet. She'll come. She'll get them. And it never materialized. I don't think anybody saw that situation come up. And I work as an executive chauffeur. And I drive some of the wealthiest people in the world, athletes, uh, movie stars, actresses, actors, uh, musicians, et cetera, et cetera. And I have clients from around the world. And we talk about it from time to time. But the most powerful, richest nation in the world, we are the most laughed at today, I believe. I just find it absolutely unbelievable that this gentleman represents the most powerful, richest nation in the world. And you know what? He tweets every day on the computer like he's some little bitch in high school. (laughs) My God, please give the world a break and take a day or two off. Go to the beach. Turn the computer off for 48 hours. Just unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, so I know you mentioned, you know, you're uh, an executive chauffeur. How would you go from boxing to being a chauffeur? Like well, the boxing was many, many, yeah. many years ago, and um, I was in the newspaper business for 33 years, and I lost my job in 2008 due to the internet circulation of newspapers quit. So, you know, I was just bouncing around doing this, doing that, and I had a couple of dollars to put to the side, not that much. Um, my disease of alcoholism and drug addiction kind of took everything away from me. However, I am in my 30th year of sobriety, uninterrupted sobriety. Um and one day, a friend of mine at Starbucks across the street. Thank you. A friend of mine, he said, man, you need to go to work. You need to work. Let me find you a job. He says, I, you work as a driver, man. You're a good-looking guy. You're a two-bit celebrity. People know who you are. You get to book commercial once in a while. You book an acting gig once in a while. You fight on TV. You wear your Hugo Boss suits and your bright and watches. Why don't you come to work for me? It took me two years before I finally got out of fear and said yes, because I was afraid I was not able to do the job. I was afraid. What's the process? And will I be able to learn? And that's what we were talking about earlier. Fear, false evidence, bearing real. 
I wind up being mm-hmm. one of the best drivers in this town. You know, and I enjoy it 99% of the time. For someone that despises <laughs> traffic, <laughs> that was a stupid choice to get into. Um, yeah, I remember one day, my work, yeah, my work philosophy is somebody steps into my car, they become family, and I treat them as such. And I also don't see myself working for that person. I don't see myself working for the company that gives me a paycheck. I see myself working for my Heavenly Father. That's who I work you. for. Yeah. So what's your um, what's your uh, feedback like, you know, when you uh, bring someone in that oh, space? Oh, great. I get compliments all the time. I, I mean, I picked up this individual the other day at the last minute, two of us. They're flying into Van Nuys on a helicopter because Santa Monica was fogged in. And they needed another SUV. Had to get on the phone, get another SUV. Some passengers were going to go on this one. The other passengers were going to go on mine. And, you know, a lot of times we know that we're good. Or we know that we're attractive or we know we're personable. But from your head to your heart sometimes can be a thousand miles away. Yeah, that's and true. It's the process learning to believe. I know intellectually that I've been a man since I left home. I know intellectually that I was an ex prize fighter. I know that I found on national TV. I know I get to work as an actor once in a while. I know that I'm all right today. But sometimes I have a hard time believing it. And an actor friend of mine by the name of Ed B. won't give his last name, but Ed B. says, Patrick, from your head to your heart, a thousand miles away, you need to shorten up the distance. And nine years ago, when I celebrated 21 years of sobriety, April 1st is my anniversary date. I got sober April 1st, 1988. I associated 21 with being an adult. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized, waking up that day, crying, that I am a man. It took me 21 years to get there. Mm-hmm. And the process in life is a process. I just wish it wouldn't have taken that long. But you get there when you get there. <laughs> You know, and I think that's um, that's something that I do want to remind people because I too have um, I have a bad habit. I've developed a habit now with social media. You know, thinking that oh, you know, this person has this and this person's doing that, and wouldn't that be fun if I could do that with my life? And so now I find myself comparing myself and my journey to someone else's, and we're two different people from two different places, and that's detrimental to anyone's mental health. That's the key word, journey. Everybody's on a journey. Yeah. I have a friend of mine who's in the hospital right now. And he was 91 years old July 14th. And he's been having some complications the past few months. And I was at the hospital a couple of weeks ago for about 10 hours. And thought I was going to lose him. And I've known him since 1980. And my first fight on national TV was in 1982. And this gentleman's been in over 300 films, very talented, gifted actor. And um, he always told me that everything's already been written. The journey is already there. We just live it one day at a time. Yeah, and I think that um, keeping that in mind, that it's not necessarily about how fast you go as as much as it is you enjoying your way and learning your lessons. You know, while you're on the road. It's the destination. It's the destination. Right. You know, so I mean, overall, you know, Pat, I do thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. It oh, was, I knew it would be a pleasure, but 
it, it was amazing to talk to you, and we got into some really heavy stuff, you know, learning about um, your perspective on the lack of the family unit that you see across the board. You know, that lets you know, too, that it's not just, you know, what I see in black families or Hispanic families, but it's all over, you know. So uh, I do want yeah. to encourage people, again, to uh, to think before it's illegal. And, again, thanks, Pat. We're going to be closing out. Thank you, guys. Follow us and um, share this episode if you like what you heard. And if you didn't, give us some comments on Twitter or Instagram at the OMR Show. It's T-H-E-O-M-R. S-H-O-W. And, Pat, did you um, have any last words before we head out? Yes. Uh, if I may make a suggestion. I always forgot what you... Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You were talking about something, and you said, but. I learned a long time ago, when you say, but, you just erase everything you said. My suggestion is start to learn to use the word however. Ah, this suggestion. Language is important. I definitely make a note of that. See, people Thank tell me what to do. I get defensive. People make it defensive. I just hope that um, make sure you guys follow us. Thanks again, Pat. And this is Omar's show. We are out of here. <laughs>